You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome everyone to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. Today, I'm going to do a solo podcast on how to talk to people you disagree with. If you have been on social media in the last five to ten minutes, you'll know that this may be relevant. And I get a lot of questions about this, so I figured it was time to just take some time and and lay out here some of the principles and practices that, that I use for talking to people that I disagree with and also helping other people talk to people that they disagree with. So, a little background, and then we'll jump into some of these principles and practices. But I want to give a little background because it'll help you understand where, where I'm coming from with this category. So, when I was younger, I think I've mentioned that I loved arguing. It was probably, like, literally probably one of my favorite hobbies was to pick fights and argue with people over whatever. It really didn't matter. But then in high school, I really got into theology and apologetics, which is defending Christianity. And so, I started reading a lot and getting into, you know, a lot of debates. And and there was one incident I want to recall here that shaped and changed my perspective on what it means to engage in healthy arguments and what does that look like. So, I was 16 and I had come home after a night of hanging out with my friends And my mom was sitting at our kitchen table. So, we had a small house. So, when you came in the front door, you could see the kitchen table from the the front door. And we had a kitchen that was all-inclusive, if you know what I mean. It had the washer, the dryer, the kitchen table. There was no, like, extra dining room or pantry or washroom. It was all right there. So, I remember walking in the front door, seeing my mom at the table. And I came and sat down, as I often did, just to talk about how the night went and all that. And anyway, it turned into a conversation about God. And then we started talking about the Bible, and then we started talking about predestination. So, I had recently started going to a Presbyterian church by myself and become converted to Calvinism, which believed in predestination, meaning God preordained or or before the beginning of the world chose who would be saved and who would be damned to hell. And my mom did not grow up with that and, and had still did not agree with that. And so, we got into a debate and we argued And, uh, of course, I was 16, so I knew everything and just needed to convince my mom of that. And she wasn't being convinced, and I was getting angry. And so, we were both getting pretty heated. And by this point, we were standing up next to the kitchen table, kind of going at each other, and voices were raised. And then I wagged my finger at my mom to make a point, like put my finger in her face. And that I learned later as we process and talk about it. it was a trigger for her from her childhood and So, she, at that moment, just lost it. She grabbed me by the throat, and then she slammed me against the back door. And immediately, we just broke down and were weeping and and hugging and, and apologizing. And, of course, it was quite the moment. But it was in that moment that changed how I thought about it. I started to recognize that maybe I wasn't doing this right, and maybe I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. And so, from then on, I'd just been on a journey. And so, you know, that included, as a college professor, my philosophy classes were all about gaining tools for how to talk with people you disagree with, how to, how to engage people in a way that you can still grow and learn. And sometimes we got to, that iron sharpens iron, we got to challenge each other, but do it in a way that is constructive. 
And so in classes in college, we did some facts and learning that way. But we spent a lot of time trying to debate with each other, not in any formal way, but in informal discussions. Disagree with me as a professor, disagree with each other, and then let's learn how to do that well. And it didn't always happen. I had a student once who got up, yelled at me in the middle of the class and walked out. He yelled at me and said, why don't you just give us the answers already? This is ridiculous. And there were some other expletives as part of that. He walked out. Later, he apologized and we were all good. But, but I encourage that, just like disagree and, and let's figure out how to do that well. So, now I spend, you know, it's, it's a real passion for me. This is one of the things I'm most passionate about is how we connect with people and how we take truth kind of as it, we think, I think we've made it an idol and it's it's really put a wedge between a lot of relationships. And so it's what do I do day to day in my job now? I spend a lot of time helping people talk with each other if they, when they disagree in, in highly volatile or emotional situations with family members in business settings where the stakes are high, sitting down and facilitating good, healthy conflict and conversation, not so that we're just peacemaking and pushing and repressing all of our feelings down, but we can get it out. But there's really healthy and proper ways of doing that, and there's unhealthy ways of doing that. So, I share that to say, one, it's a passion for me. Two, there's a lot of carnage and collateral damage in my past on this journey. So, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still growing, still learning. However, I've learned a lot basically through making a lot of mistakes and failing a lot at this and hurting a lot of people in my life. So, that's a little background. So, let's take some time now to talk about some what I'll call like postures or motivations. So, things that you can be thinking about before you ever enter a conversation. How do you gain in your self-awareness about like what your motives are that'll help you in these conversations and things to reflect on before you get in or just reflect on after you've had a conversation. It's about changing kind of some heart stuff and some mindset stuff. And then we'll talk about some just principles and practices that you might want to consider that might help you as you're around the Thanksgiving dinner table or having conversations on on social media as you're bravely scrolling through the comments section, which that should just be a practice. Don't do that. So, the first one here on this posture motivations thing to think about is ask yourself the question, am I in this conversation to be right, to be confirmed in what I already believed, or the truth? Actually figuring out what, what's actually the case. And I think it's important. And, and we can say in our head that that's what we're doing, but in our heart, we may have a different motivation. So, just be careful because you can easily trick yourself to say, no, I'm, I just want the truth. When we're feeling insecure, we're feeling inadequate, when we're feeling scared, uncertain, oftentimes our motivations are to feel confirmed in what we already believe because we, we love, we crave that sense of certainty. We just like to be right. And sometimes, you know, it feels good. It feels good to be right. So, when I was at Liberty University, I think I've mentioned before I went to Liberty, I was smart, and, and I had been studying a lot of this stuff since I was an early teenager, so a lot of people in my dorm thought of me as, like, the answer guy or the argument guy. And so, they were, on, I'm sure this happens on Christian campuses across the country, but there would be these, like, theological debates that cropped up on dorm rooms. You know, you're sitting around playing video games, and all of a sudden, now we, it's almost like MMA, right, where it's, like, getting the octagon, and these two people are going at each other. And they're on multiple, I can remember at least on two occasions, 
where someone on my hall would actually run down, like two people would run down to my room and like barge in and say, Jared, Jared, these guys are d- talking about this and this. I thought you would be like, you got to come over here. And, and I, what you were talking about the other day, you got to come talk about that. And so I would run down there and start spouting off a bunch of big words and showing off everything that I knew. And I always left those feeling so good And the reason was because I made people feel small and I was really in it because I I didn't feel good because I left helping other people connect better. I didn't feel good because I left helping someone understand something better. I, I left feeling good because I felt smart and I felt like I left with people going, wow, that guy knows a lot and he's super smart. And so, it was an, it was an ego trip. It, it totally was that. And so, for me, that's been a learning of, of ch- just check my heart for why am I even in this conversation? Is it to just prove to the person in front of me that I'm, I'm smart and I know what I'm talking about? And what's the point of that? So, I've learned to, before I go into conversations or after conversations, reflect and say, was I in that because I wanted to learn something new? I was interested in the truth and I was interested in connecting, interested in the truth, or was it because I was interested in being right, feeling good about being right, or feeling confirmed or validated because I'm scared or uncertain or afraid of being wrong or something like that? So, that's one thing to think about. Are we in this conversation to be right or to gain access to some truth? The second one is, are we in this conversation to understand or to be understood? And I think all healthy relationships have a good balance of both of those. Toxic relationships tend to be one way where the other person just wants you to understand them all the time and don't want to take out time to understand where you're coming from. I'm just talking, though, in terms of when I go into conversations that I know are going to be contentious, when I'm going to talk to people I don't agree with, my first priority is to understand. Meaning, if I leave that conversation and I've understood one new piece of information about them, about their perspective, or about the topic, that's a success. Not to be understood. That's, that's not what I'm in it for, and I have to check myself for that. If I, if I want to be understood, and I want to feel validated and confirmed, I'll often, you know, that's, that's appropriate at times. And I, I talk to my friends, and I can say that. Like, I just need someone to listen. I'm feeling kind of down, or I'm feeling insecure, and, um, and that's a great place for that. But with people we disagree with, my priority, I go into it trying to understand them. Personally, I go into almost every conversation assuming I'm wrong about something. And then I'm an explorer. I'm an adventurer. And the adventure I'm on is to engage with this person. I'm on a journey here to find that nugget, to find that treasure of what I didn't already know or didn't already understand about this other human being. And so, I go into a conversation wanting to understand, not wanting to be understood. And then the last one for this section is, do I go into a conversation wanting to connect with that person or coerce them, persuade them? And that's really important because I think our culture, Christian culture included, we've made truth an idol. I think we have this, this fundamental belief that if we get all the right facts and beliefs in place, that that's, that's the way to a peaceful world or that's a way to a world made anew or a right. And I just don't think that's true. I think that's putting too much of a burden on fact-finding because it, it kind of ignores the social, emotional, spiritual elements of what it means to be human. We can have all the right facts. You know, my children have sometimes the right facts and they still behave in a way that's not consistent with those facts. It's not a matter of knowing the facts all the time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So for me, my passion is connection. And I can connect with someone even if I disagree with them. I can look at them in the eyes. I can hug them at the end. I can give them a high five. I can affirm them for the things we do agree on. And I, even in the midst of disagreement, I can do it in a way emotionally that it's not cutting to my core and I'm not devaluing them as humans. We just disagree and that's okay. And we've talked on the podcast about how amazing, or just, you know, we can look up to our, our Jewish cousins and, and brothers and sisters here who do this really well, where debate is baked into the practices of your faith. And I think we could learn a lot from that. So, the, the, the debate is also a way to connect. If you do it in unhealthy ways, debate is a way to distance. But if you do it in healthy ways, it's a way to connect. And so, asking that question again before you have a conversation or reflecting on it after, was I, was I motivated to connect or was I trying to coerce? Did I just want to persuade? So, Again, just to recap that section, things to think about before you have conversations with people you disagree with, before you jump on Facebook or Twitter, before you go over to the family gathering, just take a few minutes to reflect, am I, am I engaging these conversations to be right and to be confirmed in what I believe or to search out the truth? And then secondly, am I engaging in these conversations to understand what the other human being in front of me is going through emotionally, trying to get at intellectually? What's the point they are trying to make? Or am I trying to be understood? And I just need to make sure that they get where I am. And then third, am I here to connect with you or am I here to coerce you? Coerce sounds more negative than it needs to. It's just persuading them sometimes too. So, am I here to persuade or am I here to, to connect? And different settings, maybe the answer's one way or the other, but be reflective of that and go into it. And again, for me, more often than not, I go into conversations because I want to connect. I don't necessarily need to persuade you because that often doesn't happen anyway. And that ties in, I think, perfectly to this next section, which I'll call principles. And uh, we'll go into some very specific practices in a minute, but these principles are kind of bigger, just bigger things to think about. Like one is be okay with no closure. Like I just said, if you go into a conversation to persuade someone, you're going to fail at that most of the time. I don't know. And my history would be 70% of the time fail. And I think I'm pretty good at persuading and I still fail 70% of the time. So be okay with no closure. Be okay with at the end of the day, you're most likely not going to persuade them to change their mind and they're not going to persuade you to change yours. So maybe if we had a different purpose, which would be to connect, we would we'd have a little more of that closure. But be okay with no closure in the sense that you're going to change people's minds. That takes a long time. Just think about yourself and how hard it is for you to change your mind for a lot of people. So be okay with no closure. That's a good principle. Secondly, this is really important, I think. Don't teach. It's very off-putting and probably not very persuasive for people because they get defensive if they feel like you are thinking you are more self-developed and spiritual and you're more mature and you're here to show them, you know, you're enlightened, you've reached nirvana and now you're there to, to help them and to show them the right path and oh, how spiritual of you. Don't do that. 
as, as an eight on the Enneagram, I can tell you when people do that to me, I really just want to punch them in the face. So, don't be condescending and dismissive to people. Don't teach as though you're there to help them on their journey. That's not how you connect with people. So, you're not there to teach. And in a lot of the work I do, I talk about the teacher mode. Don't go into teacher mode. Go into vulnerable, intimate connection mode of truly wanting to understand people and not let them know that you've already dealt with this and now you're here to help them with it. Not helpful. Hey, normal people, Pete here. Just a quick break. First, if you like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes. I could back that up with plenty of Bible verses, but there's just no time. Also, consider supporting our work at Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, cheaper than the price of a very bad cup of coffee, you'll have access to videos, early announcements, book clubs, an active Slack group of kindred spirits, and more. And that's patreon.com forward slash the Bible for normal people. Finally, a huge thanks to our producers group at Patreon. They get on calls with us and give us great feedback. If you like what we're doing, thank them. If not, just blame Jared. So thank you to Brock Beasley, Nathan Kitchen, Denise Howard, Bob Faby, Josh Levinson, Chrissy Florence, Caleb Needens, Michelle Snyder, Shea Box, and Greg Ballou. We couldn't do what we do without you. Now back to the podcast. So you're on a journey just like them, so don't teach. Be okay with no closure. And then get rid of this false dichotomy of, I call it ignorance or evil. So, there is a sense as humans where we can actually be reasonable and still disagree with each other. You can be a smart person and disagree. If we don't believe that about each other, if we don't believe that we can be reasonable and just come to different conclusions, if we think that the logic only goes one way, and if you follow the logic, it'll lead to this one answer, then we'll, we set up this dichotomy where you either have to be ignorant or evil, right? Because if you were logical, you would come to my conclusions. So, why aren't you coming to my conclusions? It must be because you're not following the logic. And why wouldn't you follow the logic? We usually have two good answers, because you're ignorant, you're just not smart. And that's when we use words like, it's obvious, or it's not rocket science, which we'll talk about under our practices. Don't say those things, because it assumes then that the other person's ignorant or stupid. Or if it's not because you're ignorant, then it's because you're willfully not following the logic, which means you're evil. You're just a bad person. You don't want to follow the logic because you have these ulterior motives. So, the antidote to that is just assuming that people can be reasonable and disagree with each other. Because otherwise, if you don't believe that, you, you, then you're, you're forcing yourself to you say, well, why don't they, if, if, it's, if the logic is there, why wouldn't they come to the same conclusions? It must be because they're, they're stupid and they can't follow the logic, or because they're evil and they're willfully not following the logic. So, just avoid that. Avoid that. So, avoid the ignorant or evil dichotomy. Remember that you're on a journey, don't teach people, and be okay with no closure. The last one I would say is, don't hold other people to your pursuit of the truth. You may be really passionate about the truth and you really want to go after it. Other people maybe aren't in that place. That's not what they're struggling with or that's not what they're motivated by at this point in their life. So, just be okay with that. Be okay with some people holding to things that don't seem true who, in your understanding, just giving it a little bit of thought would lead to a different conclusion. So, go on your own journey of truth, but, you know, don't, don't force people or hold other people to that pursuit. It'll be helpful in your conversations, because then we start to kind of coerce or we start to want to control that instead of letting them be on their own journey. So, we've talked about some postures, how we go into conversations with people that we disagree with. And 
the kind of the summary of that section of motivations is just check your heart when you're going into conversations and ask yourself, is this about my ego? Is this about me wanting to be understood, wanting to be confirmed, wanting to be validated, wanting to be right because it feels so good to be right? Or am I here because I'm interested in something outside myself? Truth, connection, understanding the other. And just, just check your heart and where you are. So if, you, if you're saying, I'm just not in a good place, then just don't engage in those conversations at that point. But put it on yourself, take responsibility for it and say, I'm, I'm not in a good place. I don't think I would handle this well. So I don't think I should have this conversation. It's not you, you know, um, it's not putting it on the other person. It's not making excuses. I'm just saying I'm not in a place, but my motives aren't right. I don't think I should be having this conversation. And that's good. And then have it a different time or not at all. So that's kind of that motivation summary. And then this kind of key principles summary here is don't hold other people to your pursuit of truth. Be okay with with it not ending the way you thought it would. You know, don't be frustrated whenever you don't convince someone. Uh, Go into it with the expectation that you're not going to convince them. Don't be in teacher mode. You know, these are kind of all tied to that. And then avoid this ignorant or evil dichotomy. Assume that people can be reasonable and we can just disagree because logic doesn't just doesn't work that way all the time where we come out with with one thing. There's just a lot of facts we don't know. We're talking often about things that we don't have specialties in. We don't have the specific knowledge. We haven't studied it for a long time. We don't know all the facts. And so don't assume that people are just stupid or evil. We're all ignorant in some ways and all of our motives are improper in some ways. And so they're just not that helpful of categories. Now, lastly, some really practical principles here. I think I have five. So, we'll go through these one by one here quick. The first one is just learn how to be an active listener. I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but if you go to like marriage counseling, I think they will often use this as an introductory strategy, just learning how to be active listeners. And one of the key things about being an active listener that I found super helpful is rephrase what the other person is saying to make sure that you are hearing them correctly and make and it helps them understand that you're listening. So, for example, someone will explain something to me about what they believe and I will often say, so what I hear you saying, tell me if I'm correct. And you may, by the way, you may hear me say this a lot on the podcast. I think I, I, think I say it quite a bit on the podcast. But I'll say, so what, hold on, let me, let me restate what you're saying in my words so that I can make sure I'm hearing you correctly. And then I say it back. And if they say, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. And then I say, oh, okay, well, maybe rephrase it so I can better understand. Or if they say, yeah, you got it. Good. Okay. Now I know we're talking about the same thing. Great. And they underst- it helps them to feel less defensive because they understand now that I understand them. I get it. I may not agree, but I get it. I understand what you're talking about. And that's a really good first step. Because if we don't understand what each other's talking about, then we're like ships passing in the night and we're not even arguing about the same thing. And that's really unproductive. So, active listening and just taking that, it's a, it's a really practical tool of saying, let me rephrase it. Because at the end of the day, if we're talking with someone we disagree with and we're arguing, we want to give them the best argument, right? If, if we're taking like their worst arguments and then we're showing how those worst arguments aren't good arguments, then I would say we're back in the camp of just wanting to be right. But if we can say, okay, what's your best argument? I, and sometimes I do this and I think it's confusing for people because they'll argue a position and I'll actually say, well, actually... I think if you argued it this way, you would have a better argument. I still might disagree, 
but I want to give them the best shot because I'm interested in the truth. So if there's a better argument out there for their position, I want to know that too. And so I'm kind of working on their team for a while to like, okay, well, what's the best argument we can come up with with your position? Okay, yeah, that's a really good one. Okay, how would we go about saying that that's right or wrong? Hmm, okay. So active listening. Anyway, all that to say, it starts with active listening. You have to understand someone before you can argue with them. You have to understand a position before you can argue against it. That's a very practical tool. Ask people, restate what you think they're saying before you say anything. And it's, a, it's really practical and it's really helpful. So practice active listening. Two, it's kind of tied to that, is use I statements. And what this means is sometimes in conversations, we want to use what we call blame language or ganging up language. If I'm in an argument with my wife and she says, I thought, you know, I asked you to take out the trash like three times yesterday and you didn't do it. If my first response is, well, you didn't do the dishes, blah, blah, blah. That's blame language. That's, that's you. That's you language. And so just being careful when we use the word you. That's a practical tool. Just try to avoid using the word you as often as you can. Instead, start sentences with I. This is how I feel. This is what I think. So that we're not saying this is what is. We're not making pronouncements about what's objectively true. I mean, we can think that that's the case, but it doesn't lead to good conversation when we're sort of shutting the book on any discussion. There's no room. What I think is objectively what's true, and there's really no room for a conversation. So to set that up better, say things like, well, I, I think this, this is, this is how I would see it. And then ask the question, well, what do you think? How do you see it? So rather than that blame language of you, or objective language, like, it just is this way. I don't know what you're talking about. Just use I. This is how I think. Because it is your perspective. Now, maybe right, maybe wrong, but it is your perspective. And secondly, don't use we language. Like, well, everyone knows, or everyone thinks, or we all think this. Because you're just ganging up. You're just asking for someone to get defensive. Like, who wants to be the odd man out, um, or the odd person out? So, just use I statements. So, active listening, restate things. Two, use I statements. So, the next one is find value outside of beliefs. I know that's not super easy practice, but I think it's a really valuable practice. If your identity is wrapped up in being right about a certain thing, like if you take a lot of pride and you find a lot of identity or value or worth in being a Republican or being a Democrat or being an evangelical or being a Methodist— you're just naturally going to be more defensive about that because it's kind of cutting to the core of who you are. And to argue against it is personal. It's to argue against you and who you are. So, finding identity outside of those beliefs and recognizing that it's not the totality of who you are, that if we amputated the Methodism from you or the evangelicalism or the Democrat or the Republican, you'd still be alive, you'd still be healthy, you'd still thrive. Um, if you don't think that, then maybe you've made an idol of some of these labels. So, find value outside of your beliefs, and, and you won't take it so personally. It'll be easier for you to remain emotionally neutral in a lot of these conversations. The fourth practice is avoid dismissive words or phrases. So, in order to kind of protect yourself or to bolster your argument, you may say things like, it's not rocket science, or everyone thinks that, or uh, it's not brain surgery. Those kind of things... When you say that, if you say it's not right or it's obvious that, then what you're saying is if you don't get it, then the other person's basically an idiot. 
And that's just not going to foster good conversation. You're going to be shut down. Who's going to want to hear that? Just think, whenever you use those dismissive phrases, just replace it with, you're an idiot. And then think about how the other person would respond to that. It's just going to shut down conversation. So, the last one that I want to end on today is the practice of learning how to ask better questions. I would say in any conversation, unless I'm being interviewed for something and I'm expected to talk, most conversations I try to ask more questions than I make statements. So, the art of asking good questions is important when talking to people you disagree with. Because again, it confirms that what I'm interested in is understanding, not being understood. And there's a lot of power in a question that you can actually help people see things from a new perspective. So, you can do something with a question. Questions aren't passive. Questions can be powerful and they can be active. And think about, I mean, Jesus uses a lot of questions to do this, right? But who do you say that I am? Which of you, if your father, you know, which of you, if your child asks for uh, a fish, would give him a snake? Or these kind of questions, a lot of parables end in questions. And questions can be really powerful. And the nice thing is, is that they invite you on a journey to discover the truth for yourself, which always sticks better and has a more transformative effect than if someone tells you the answer or the response. So, questions invite transformation in a way that just declaring things or preaching things or teaching things just can't do. So, I think of Emily Dixonson has this uh, famous quote that says, tell the truth, but tell it slant. And I think questions are a great way to tell the truth, but tell it slant. And if you can get good at it, it's a skill to be able to ask questions that don't just ask questions, but actually put us on a different path. So, that would be the, the number one practice, I think, would be learning how to ask better questions. But the other four, again, would be active listening, which is being able to restate, you know, asking the question, did I understand you? Here's what I think I heard you say. And that active listening actually will help you ask better questions if you're a better listener. Two would be using I statements. Speak from your own perspective. Don't make pronouncements about the world. Then three would be find value outside of your beliefs don't have your labels be idols because then when someone questions it, you're really just interested in confirmation. You're not interested in the truth because the truth is bigger than your Methodism. It's bigger than your evangelicalism. It's bigger than the Democratic Party. It's bigger than the Republican Party. The truth will always seep outside of those labels. And if you hold too tightly, you're going to miss the truth. So, and then lastly, on that list, avoiding dismissive words or or phrases. Um, But overall, again, if I could, in sum, just say, how to talk to people you disagree with. One, check your heart and have the right motivations. Go into it to connect and to understand people, to find the truth and not to be right, to be validated, or to confirm your in-group's rightness. And then secondly, if you don't take anything else out, a practice of learning how to ask better questions, using the things like active listening and these other things, uh, but ask better questions. So, have the right motivation, check your heart, and then ask better questions. That's kind of the takeaway here of how to talk to people you disagree with. Thank you so much for hanging in there. I know I covered a lot of things. I'd love for anyone, if you're a part of the Patreon community on Slack or on Patreon, feel free to, to shoot me a message there and I'd be happy to, to talk further about anything, unpack things if you want. I, again, this is an area that I'm super passionate about. 
it really is what gets me up in the morning is, is helping people connect and helping people understand each other and for me to do that as well to connect with others and help them understand so thanks again really appreciate having this Bible for Normal People community a group of people who are seemingly more and more committed to understanding one another understanding their backgrounds even as painful as some of those backgrounds have been so you guys inspire me in this as well thank you so much we'll see you next time <laughs>